Refreshingly honest, bold and brutally frank, this is Bareface Stories. How you doing out there in podcast land? Thanks for tuning in. I feel like right now is the perfect time to binge listen all of those podcasts that you love so much. Our story this week is a pretty tense one, but it's a good reminder to take care of those you love. And I found myself whacking her on the back, thinking she must be choking, hoping I'd something, something, anything. Before that story, another one from Old Young's head distiller and award-winning maker of handcrafted spirits, James Young. Describe how you make gin. The variables are incalculable, like because you've got four or five hundred different in- ingredients you can put in for a start. Um, whether you rest it in the alcohol before it or whether you just put it straight in before you turn on the still is a different thing you can do. Where it sits in the still, whether it's in the in the pot or in the vapor basket, there's so many different variables in terms of, which is the joy of gin. If I told you my exact recipe and I showed you my machine and I told you the exact weights and what I do it and you went away and made it somewhere else, you're not going to get the same gin. Old Young's is in Perth's Swan Valley. Gin-tristing stories, gin-toxicating spirits. And now here's Alison Bennett-Taylor. It was the night before Christmas. I was back in the house I'd grown up in, in Perth, standing outside my old childhood bedroom, and my 20-month-old daughter was lying naked on the floor in front of me, and she was not breathing. I'd I'd always had a very close relationship with my mother growing up, and I always imagined that I would have a daughter, but I had three sons um, and I found myself grieving the very idea of, of having a daughter and, um, and then I was pregnant and then there she was, this daughter that I always dreamed of having um, and she was doted on by her brothers and our family was complete. Um, we'd moved from the suburbs of Fremantle to Denmark to give the kids more space um, to grow up in the countryside. And um, my daughter was born a couple of years after we we made the move. So we were back home in Perth um, to have Christmas with my family. But we um, took along a spot of gastro with us, which in a family of six takes its time to (laughs) flush through the entire population. So it, was, uh, it wasn't the holiday we'd been dreaming of. But um, in between um, illness, we got to the zoo. And um, after my daughter and I had spent a day in bed, it was my husband's turn. So I took the kids over to mum and dad's house. And they played in the backyard pool um, like I had as a child until they were blue and wrinkled as prunes. And then I popped them all in the bath. And it's not a big bath. Um, they only just fit. And if I'd been at home, I probably would have been, I've left them there and um, gone and made dinner. My eldest son was nine at the time. My daughter was 20 months old. She was healthy and robust. And um, I felt safe with them looking after each other. But because I was at mum and dad's house and mum was making dinner, I, um, I sat down and was talking to one of my sons. And then I looked down and my daughter was under the water. She was lying, the water was only just covering her face. 
Um, and I pulled her out straight away, expecting her to sputter and cry, because she had been standing um, laughing seconds before and had made not a sound as she slipped under the water. But as I pulled her body out, um, she was rigid. And I shook her, expecting her to sputter and cry, and there was no response. Um, and I grabbed her and I ran out of the room with this cry tearing out of my chest. And I found myself whacking her on the back, thinking she must be choking, hoping I'd something, something, anything. My sister came running out of her room and then my mum was there holding a dusting cloth in her hand. My mum's five foot tall. She fits under my chin. I passed her my daughter. My mum always wanted to be a writer, but she, came, she grew up in a time when women became teachers or nurses and she'd become a nurse. It was never the career of her dreams, but she trained at Princess Margaret Hospital because that was where the good nurses went. <laughs> with the, the nice nurses, she told me, because um, they worked with children and she'd worked there all my life in theatre and recovery and she'd resuscitated dozens of children's over her career, but she'd never given mouth to mouth. And there she was giving it to her only granddaughter. And I found myself sliding down the wall beneath the pixie photos, faded now, of my brother and my sister and I. And my three sons were standing in the doorway. And the dog kept on trying to... <laughs> the dog kept on trying to get to my daughter. I kept on pushing it away. And finally, my dad appeared and grabbed it by the collar and dragged him, his cause, slipping on the polished floorboards and shut the door. And then one of my sons shut the bathroom door. And it was just my mother and my daughter and I in that dark hallway. And I said, she's dead. <laughs> and I thought, perhaps that's why the vasectomy didn't work. But how could we ever replace her? And then she started to make a whimpering noise and my mum said, she's not dead, she's coming back. And she passed her to me and I held her to my chest. And I said, oh, my darling, oh, my baby girl. And my mum said, no, I need to see her breathing. So I laid her across my lap. And I found myself rocking, wailing, trying to get the emotion out. And it seemed like an eternity until that ambulance arrived. My sister told me she couldn't believe how quick it had got there. It felt like half an hour. I think it was less than five minutes. The ambulance officers strapped me to the stretcher with my daughter in my arms and we drove down the freeway with the lights flashing but the sirens silent. My daughter woke up as we pulled into the emergency bay at Princess Margaret Hospital and from the moment we walked in those doors she was known as the immersion because it, she'd nearly drowned. 
but it didn't add up. I didn't understand what had happened still. And when my mum brought my husband in later that evening, <laughs> sick as a dog, vomiting into a bin in the corner, corner of our little curtain partitioned room, um, I found myself saying, I'm so sorry, because I felt that it was my fault. I was the one watching the children. We spent the evening um, in the observation ward and at 4.30 in the morning, they discharged me so that I could get home in time to watch the boys open their Christmas presents. And I remember driving across the Narrows Bridge and Jingle Bell Rock was playing on the radio and I felt like I could cry with relief. Um, and we got back to the house where we were staying near Frio. And as the kids unwrapped their last present, my daughter was holding the doll that Sandra had brought her and she was walking across the room and she fell over into a box and she was uh, locked, rigid. She was having another seizure. Um, I was screaming for my husband and I saw one of my sons standing on the couch with his hands over his ears and my other son saying, this is the worst Christmas ever. <laughs> and it was. <laughs> I was back in the ambulance. But it turns out that Christmas isn't a great time to have a near-death experience because we were discharged again and then we were back in the ambulance. And after the fourth seizure, they admitted us. And we spent the next five days with my daughter doped to the eyeballs on anticonvulsant medication. But finally, the staff came back from their Christmas break and she had her brain trace and everything was clear and we were discharged and we could go home. And life felt precious indeed. The gastro had triggered seizures. They were pretty rare. There was some gut-brain connection the doctors don't quite understand that isn't fully developed in children of this age and my daughter was one of the lucky few that it had triggered. I'd always been a pretty relaxed mum, but I found myself terrified that my daughter was going to die if she tripped over in a puddle or the shallows at the beach. She seemed changed as well. She was fearless. <laughs> she would charge into the water every time we went to the beach. And I, I felt the adrenaline surging through me as I tried to quell the fear every time. But in a funny way, it brought me closer to my mother as well. Because as we sat in that hallway together, the three of us, she looked at me and she said, I love her too, you know. And I'd never doubted it for a moment. Thank you. <laughs> That was a tough one. Alison Bennett-Taylor recorded at our Bareface show down in Albany. Next week, we're going to lighten things up a little bit. Remember parent-teacher meetings? If you haven't been to one, it's a little bit like um, speed dating a lot of people driving early 2000 Hyundais. We get funny. Next week on Bareface Stories. Oh, I think we need it, don't we? 
look, I'm going to be honest, things are pretty tough for us right now in the arts and this podcast, it's not free for us to make. We do it for the love of it and in a time like this where we can't actually be together, storytelling is one of those things that makes us all feel a little bit less alone in the world. So we want to continue. So any support you can throw our way, uh, that includes a tiny little review just to say how much you love us means the world. Take care.